0: Welcome back to Booze and Buffy, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the Series one by one. There will be no spoilers for future episodes, but of course we will discuss details from previous episodes. Realizing that Apocalypse Now is all about the journey, I'm Harrison.
1: And wearing cheese, I'm Jason. Harrison what episode are we watching this week?
0: Oh, Jason, I am so delighted, <laughs> in for multitude of reasons, to announce that we are watching the season four finale, Buffy season four, episode 22, Restless. Um, we're, we're done. <laughs> season four.
2: Yay! <laughs>
0: We've been doing this for 84 years. Um, This is but the I one... I can still
1: smell the fresh paint. <laughs>
0: this is the one where after fucking up adam's shit the gang has a movie night they fall asleep immediately because they fucked up adam's shit and are tired and we get a series of surreal dreams in which they are hunted down by one very pissed off og slayer the og The og
1: Restless was written and directed by David Lynch and originally aired on <laughs> May 23rd in the year 2000. The episode was actually written and directed by the show's creator, but can understand the confusion.
0: Lynch is the one with like red curtains, right? That's like the whole thing well, in Twin like The Peeps. Red Room, right?
3: Yeah, well, there's, there's the Black Lodge and the Red Room, but yeah, there's red curtains in a lot of his work.
1: Gotcha. If you want to know who's that, whose voice that is.
2: Wait until
0: after the intro music. I'll never tell. Before we dive into things, we should uh, introduce our very special and mysterious voice. Uh, Jason, do you want to do the honors?
1: Uh, You have heard him before in our popular episodes, Ink and Mummy Girl. Uh, And uh, I only have eyes for you, as well as our appearance at a a special convention panel. You know him. You love him. And we love having him. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ben Gerhardt is back! Woo! oh it's me i
3: wasn't sure based on that description (laughs)
1: it's
3: like surely they're talking about someone else
0: um ben i think you you requested this episode or did we i did
3: i really thought there would be like an angry mob of people who wanted to guess for this and i really tried to get ahead
2: of everybody (laughs) well
0: it's funny because when you asked initially i was kind of like Uh, I don't know not because I don't love you but because I was like this is a this is an episode episode. that's already probably gonna be longer than our normal ones and then like Mm -hmm. guest episodes also are so I was like "Eh." but then I was like fuck it like like
1: what is important (laughs) is that you got here you got in line early enough so that you get to be the cowboy yeah
0: (laughs) um so I was like this no this is an episode that deserves uh deserves it so every
1: episode deserves ben gerhardt uh, yeah. i'm glad to be worthy of it
0: yeah um so ben would you like to lead us i usually do the buffy episode toast but would you like to take us in a toast for this week oh we didn't say what we were drinking we're drinking martinis <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> made by
3: harrison Boiler. yes <laughs> delicious mine's a little dirty because you know <laughs> Slut. <laughs> Slut. dragon. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah um sure i'm just again i'm grateful to be here i'm glad i got in front of the mob of angry bitches who wanted to do this episode in my mind and <laughs> i'm grateful that harrison let me do that and yeah i think i'm gonna um toast this episode just to all the dreamers out there oh that's good <laughs> nice you're good cheers clink
2: okay. triple I just clink. realized
3: i don't need to actually make that sound because we're doing it <laughs> We did have to make that sound when we were doing this remotely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I tried so many things. I was, like sometimes I'd just like hit my glass on my microphone. Like you one time did, I had... you,
1: you did toast the microphone quite
2: a yeah. bit.
0: I um one time I had a glass of water in here too, so I just like <laughs> clinked those together. Um but that first episode we recorded in person together, we it was we had like a moment after we got that clink, we were like oh, you know those little things that you've like you were like i didn't know how much the the sound of a clinking glass meant to me
1: yeah
0: um
2: turns out a lot a lot a lot
0: (laughs) so for this episode beautiful listeners um and to our ugly listeners as well we don't want to exclude you um
3: We're starting off strong, man. I don't know if that was better or worse than really not acknowledging that. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> none of you are ugly. Simply by listening, you're beautiful. Um, <laughs> Quick, did tell I get, Maxim. Did, did I get out of that hole? Did I <laughs> um, so we're going to do this episode a little different um, because this episode is a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm going to still, you know, summarize our kind of our our beginning and ending of the episode, our waking hours, uh, waking minutes, and then we're just going to go through each dream. We're going to summarize it uh, real quick and then just kind of have a discussion, because um, I feel like that's the best way to do this.
1: Yeah, this is a very difficult episode to tackle because it is, um, as we've made the David Lynch jokes... Uh, it is very non-linear, mm-hmm. so let's go ahead and make our discussions non-linear. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, and of course, because we are spoiler-free, obviously, th- this episode has a lot of foreshadowing in it, so uh, we're obviously not going to discuss that, we're just going to be discussing stuff from the past, but we are going to drop uh, a little bonus episode for this that will go full spoilers. Um I don't know when we're going to do that. Um, sometime after the Angel finale. <laughs> um, so, yeah, without further ado. So, following their destruction of Adam and their Power Rangers Megazord uh, collective, Buffy, Xander, Willow, and Giles, and Riley uh, go to Buffy's house. They're going to have a movie
1: night. That sounds Fun. And guess we get to see again.
0: Oh, we see Joyce. I yeah. was like, I was like, oh, uh, yes. Uh, Joyce is there. Uh, Riley can't stay because uh, he has to go get debriefed by the military. He has to blackmail the um. government.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's, he's very much like, don't worry about me. It's like, we're not going to, they're not going to pin anything on me yeah. or anything like that.
0: Yeah. And uh, because he can expose them all. And, yes, Willow has super cute line. where she's like, it's like you're blackmailing the government! She's so excited about it. Um, and, uh, so, Joyce gets, I think, my most favorite burn uh, ever. She, even more than Xander uh, and Anya's umbilical cord from Willow a couple weeks back, <laughs> she uh, tells Riley she's so glad to meet him, finally. And when... <laughs> When Buff when he leaves, Joyce just says to Buffy, Did you notice how pointedly I said, Finally? <laughs> uh, mom burns are the best burns. Um, no amount of aloe is gonna gonna help you out there. Yeah,
1: they, they kinda come out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> kinda like kinda like children swearing. It's it's so good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um uh, Joyce uh, Joyce decides to leave the gang to it. Uh, she goes upstairs. They uh, start the movie. They're going to watch Apocalypse, or no? They... they don't. We don't see what movie they actually yeah, end up putting on. we
3: don't see what movie they start. All
1: we know is that it has an FBI warning, <laughs> yeah. not to uh, <laughs> not to like use that tape for any other uh, purpose besides viewing. Yeah.
0: Uh, and we, after the the FBI warning, just beautiful smash cut to the gang, completely asleep, because um, they had told Joyce that they were all too like wired to to, to sleep. Um, yeah, that's, that's how we start. We had no cold open, which I think is the only time in the series that that ever happens.
1: Um, there is an episode in season six.
0: Yes. Yes. A very special episode. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Okay. So we go right into Willow's dream. So uh, Ben is going to take, take it away here.
3: All right, so with Willow's dream, um, which I guess I should start by mentioning that at this point we don't know that it's a dream. I guess, like, I mean, we know they're asleep, but but it's and still kind of like zooms in on her. Yeah, it's a little unclear. Um, but yeah, we we go into um, Willow having an intimate scene with Tara.
2: Mm-hmm. Hot. Yeah,
3: which. I have to say, I mean, there were several instances like throughout the episode where I was just like, you know, like I have become a lot more immersed, sort of in uh, just queer culture in general, but also seeing it depicted on TV, and TV's gotten better about that too. Mm-hmm. So it it like didn't really register at first that I was like, oh, this is like queer AF. This is mm-hmm. like really really a big deal um so i had to sort of rewind my brain so i'm inviting everyone else to sort of rewind mm-hmm. to like i guess it would have been i don't know like 99 2000, 2000. Yeah. yeah but anyway so um yeah go back 21 years uh, and <laughs> imagine um seeing you know that scene with you know tara showing her back and willow um actually writing a. Uh, which I mean, I guess they had an art department person do this, but it's Willow um, drawing um, Sappho's love poem on Tara's back, which was like big lesbian. If you don't know. About her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and, anyway, so you know that was cool, and you're you know you're not supposed to really know what's going on necessarily. Um, so that's happening. They're they're starting a conversation about um, Willow having fear. About people knowing who she really is, and um, you know, all kinds of like juicy queer theory going on here. <laughs> yeah. And um, next, we find her. Uh, they, Tara, I should say, Tara mentions that um, she shouldn't miss her drama class because she's never taken it before. And then she goes into her drama class and finds out that not only is it a class, but there's an actual performance of a play
1: we did skip something uh oh, what's who, that? who she came across on the way to her drama class uh xander and
3: oh xander who, and oz yeah who cares about them <laughs> know, but, but yeah oh. we did we did run into them briefly um and they have i like i think some like brief commentary on uh just some just some like sort of like straight man talk on like lesbianism (laughs) and which maybe is why I blocked that out. (laughs) (laughs) I I was kind of like
1: pointing that out just because like, uh, Oz has left the show. So, uh, yeah, no, it it did. It did happen. Um,
3: (laughs) and it is meant to be like, you know, these are, um, Willow's like male exes. Mm -hmm. Um, so of course they would be there and have, you know, have something to, to say about it um so we get to the class which is not a class but actually a performance of what's supposed to be death of a salesman <laughs> i'm sorry death of a salesman i couldn't quite say that um without laughing because it's not death of a salesman <laughs> um we see everyone in costume from like all kinds of different periods and cultures that are none of them are like death of a salesman (laughs) um we do see riley be really emphatic about how he got to be the cowboy in death of a salesman which honestly i have i as someone who really doesn't enjoy riley very much um this is maybe my favorite use of him yeah (laughs) Uh, (laughs)
0: once we get to our more general discussion i have some thoughts about riley arriving either on time or early and getting to be the cowboy but yeah well we'll, we'll, i'll wait for you to finish your no that's
3: fine um but but yeah so yeah just him being like really into this production (laughs) and being the cowboy and getting like the best line that he's ever had which is like i'm here to see a man a salesman (laughs) it's top tier top tier You thought we were gonna bring somebody who liked
1: riley onto this podcast get out of (laughs) here
3: I mean, I like him in this episode <laughs> <laughs> when it's not him. Yeah, when it's not, <laughs> not actually him. But but yeah. So um, you know, that's all kinds of fun, as you would imagine. There's lots of mentioning of Willow. Um, people enjoy like liking her costume and her not understanding because she's just wearing clothes, um, non-costumey clothes. Um, so. Next, there's there's a scene which we get back to later, but there's a like a little scene where Willow walks through some curtains. Um, and I distinctly remember I don't remember exactly what the argument was, but I remember reading um, an article a long time ago back when this episode was newer newer, um, where they talked about how, Like, that was supposed to be her walking through this corridor with Tara. Like, this curtained corridor was supposed to be, like... Is it going to be pink? Yeah, a commentary on, like, vaginas. Oh,
0: I'm glad that's not... No. (laughs) I remember
3: reading that. And so, I'm just going to throw that out there and, you know, either be grossed out or, like, titillated by that. Um, But anyway, so, I I thought that was worth, like, putting in there. Yeah. So that happens, and then um, Buffy takes Tara into a classroom, and um, it's there that we're reminded that Willow's wearing this costume that she isn't wearing, Um, and Buffy, you know, has had it with Willow's protestations that she's not wearing a costume, so she rips it off of her. And I'd actually forgotten about this moment and thought like, oh, it's going to go into this like naked in front of class scene, Mm -hmm. which is kind of what it is. Um, But instead of doing that, which I thought was actually really clever, they, um, you know, because they can't do that on (laughs) on like WB 2000.
0: Um, They can't do it on the WB now. What? Because there is no WB anymore.
3: <laughs> that reminds me. Oh, God, I can't. T- that's such a tangent. But anyway, um, too much of a tangent even for this. But anyway, so, um, yes, it's this long gone cable, non-cable show. But anyway, so she's um, in her, like, Willow season one. Look. Pilot. It's oh, her pilot It's not even, costume. like, I didn't even think that it, like, yeah. Yeah, I thought maybe that kind of aesthetic showed up again. But yeah, like literally OG Willow look. And um, I think that's like really jarring because Mm -hmm. they've done such a good job of developing Willow throughout these seasons that you forget how much... how out of her shell she's really come. And it does beg the question of, okay, is this how much of this is a performance Mm -hmm. Um, how much of this is willow really growing and um, i think that that was a great commentary on the character like just in a in a meta sort of way Mm -hmm. Um, and also since we this segment of the episode is really um into like sort of discussing just the queer aspect of the character in this moment. I feel like that's a really interesting way to talk about Willow's queerness because of just the performative nature of queer people when they're either like still in the closet or just out of the closet and sort of dismantling like which aspects of themselves are have been created for other people and which are like actually themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I thought that was a really interesting way to talk about that without making it overt so i guess they could have so i guess they could sneak in the vegetables and get that in there because mm-hmm. um, i don't know if they could have talked about that overtly yeah in, in the you know at the time but anyway that's really cool and uh we go back to the curtains um which may or may not be anything and in that moment, that's when we get the first glimpse of, well, that's not true. There is a first glimpse of this sort of uh, entity that's pursuing Willow um, in the moment when she's realizing there's an actual performance on her first drama class. Um, but this this entity shows up again, and uh, Willow is actually strangled um, by this entity, and we see... We pan out from the dream into what is allegedly reality where we see her choking. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the end of the Willow Willow sequence.
0: Yeah. I do want to mention during all of that, there is a brief bit where we pan out into the classroom and all the students are like watching her and mocking her
2: that's
3: true Um, yeah and and we do have willow or we do have willow's exes again mm -hmm. yeah and xander's with uh with tara yeah and we get a nice little cameo from harmony
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) i um actually so that's a great uh pivot to a bit of trivia that i have so they wanted to have david and charisma in this episode which would have made a lot of sense Mm -hmm. um and i they weren't able to do it just because of the timing with the filming the Production Angel finale. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure you can imagine. They were probably uh, heavily involved with. Um, but I believe Charisma's role in this episode was going to be Harmonie's in this classroom scene okay. where she mocks Willow. Um, and David's role was actually going to be Tara's role in Buffy's dream. As kind of, like, the spirit guide. Um, So, but I think the choices they ended up making made sense. Uh, Harmony works just fine as a Mm -hmm. Cordelia Stanton, for obvious reasons. Um, But that moment where Tara and Oz are, like, whispering, like, to each other is really good. I really like that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Jason, what are your... Give us some thoughts about this. Um, this I definitely
1: wanted to jump on to uh, your um, comment on how like the performance aspect of it. Um, and yeah, like, um, I'm sure that applies, that definitely applies to like the uh, queer, um, to queer life, but I think, uh, I think it also can apply in a more general sense as well, because uh, especially at this moment in your lives, especially with Willow, um. I think if anybody has come out of their shell over the course of season four, it's Willow because mm-hmm. Willow's a very different person from like now than when she was at the end of season three. And I feel like when we try and I don't know, maybe I'm alone feeling this, but I do feel like when I try to try something new, whether it be a new look or a new behavior or a new hobby or anything like that, or just try to like adopt something into my life, that I'm like, oh, I want to try this. I want to experiment. I want to just, like, have this new aspect of it. It really does feel like you're kind of just almost, if we want to stick with performance aspect of it, you're kind of, like, reading through a script you just got. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, this obviously is something new to you, and um, it may not seem genuine at first. And you may, and I do often think, like, Oh um do like do people just look at me and think that I'm trying to like be a poser or something like that yeah. and uh, and given what you guys have said about the queer experience that I mean that seems to like totally track as well with yeah. that aspect too it's like oh I mean are you really gay or are you just going through a phase or are you just trying mm-hmm. something new but yeah. Uh, but yeah like I I think that like that can apply both to like, Queer aspects of life, but also just kind of general aspects of life too.
0: Yeah, mm. I really liked um, Ben. You mentioned at the top the um, Willow being afraid of people finding out who she is, mm-hmm. and obviously, yeah, the uh, the queer thing is right there because yeah. she is queer. But I also like that it, that lives in tandem with this fear, this insecurity that she has that. She still is just that nerd Mm -hmm. from the pilot who can't stand up for herself. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's both. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're like weighing on her mind equally. We talked about, um, during, uh, when Willow was keeping Tara a secret from the rest of the gang. And she mentioned that, you know, with the Scoobies, it was, you know, all about Scooby stuff and the slaying and all that. And she liked having something that was separate. It was just for her. And we talked about how the real reason is she's scared of, yeah. of bringing Willow around or Tara around because people will find out. But also the reason stated is probably also true because we are complex beings and these truths can, can coexist. Um... Ben, I'm going to kick it to you to yeah. just give me more thoughts <laughs> if you have any.
3: <laughs> no, I mean I I definitely think um yeah, I think you know that time in our lives is is just stereotypically us figuring stuff out, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're figuring out who we are. Um so yeah, I do think there's a there's a universal commentary happening where Especially in college, you know, we're all trying. It's our first time where society really sees us as an adult. Yeah. Um, so there are things you know, and you're it's a it's a natural sort of fresh start too. So like, there are things that you get to um, abandon that were maybe thrust upon you or um, you just didn't like about high, your life in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have a little more agency and control over. Um, how you present yourself um because your parents aren't as involved theoretically and um so yeah so i do think there's a lot of sort of just general statements there but um but yeah i do think the queer thing is really worth just driving home because it just hadn't really been done in that way Mm -hmm. i don't think at the time i mean I, i could be wrong um but I don't think, I don't think I am at least in a way that was like on a really popular show that was yeah. viewed by a lot of people. Um, and yeah, and it's, it's cause even as a queer person, you don't even know like how much of it is really you or really isn't mm-hmm. like, and it's not even, it's like beyond, um, it's beyond that doubt that um Maybe you're, uh, maybe you are just going through a phase, like like that's there as well. But it's also like, well, who am I then without these attempts at being mm-hmm. more um, yeah. or being more open? And maybe it's all you know. Maybe it's all fake. Like, how do I get to the real to the real me? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I just really liked that moment. Um, I mean there's there's all kinds of subtext too with Buffy sort of like forcibly mm-hmm. um stripping that um that look from her, um, which is possible, you know, potentially not good either if you dissect it that way. Mm-hmm. But um I still like that moment because it really forces you to it makes you notice the gro- like the difference. Yeah. And um and yeah, it is a stark contrast. And um, yeah, I just thought I really, I just really enjoy that segment. Mm-hmm. Um, but for all my problems with um, with Joss Whedon lately, I I feel like there are things that he just really did a, do a good job on. Yeah, And, and yeah. I felt like that was one.
0: I to that subject, I think it's we live in a complicated world, mm-hmm. and you know. We've talked about this ad nauseum, especially since Charisma Statements came out. Um, Gosh, we were, what, on Something Blue? Was that? It was early this season. It really was, yeah. Um, And we, you know, the fact of the matter is sometimes there's art that's created that is impactful and powerful and good. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's made by shitty people. Yeah. And, and there's certain levels of comfort that you have to be able to have with that. And that's going to be different for every person. And for every person, it's going to be different depending on the circumstances. Right. Um, and like, uh, I was watching The Nevers, um, Mm -hmm. and I it had issues. It was not flawless, but I generally liked it. Mm-hmm. Same. Um, but I remember reading reviews on it, and all of the reviews that I read were overtly negative. But the negative was, we don't like Joss Whedon. Yeah. And it's like, well, okay, it's unfair to be judging the work of all these other people. I think. Like, I think
1: almost every comment I saw on Facebook was like, "Oh, I really like this," until it got to the end. Credits and it said written and directed by Joss yeah. Whedon. And of course and,
0: you're going to have a reaction like that. I did at the first yeah. episode. I got to that point and I was like, oh. But...
1: I think they, a lot of people were thrown off because HBO specifically didn't have that as part of their marketing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but, you know, not to get too far off, but yeah, it's... How we engage with art is complicated. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> um so, do we have anything more to say about subtext in this episode? Or about it, or not the episode, but just this, this sec- dream? It's like,
3: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <No>, we're done! <laughs> um,
0: but do we have anything more to say about uh, the subtext of Willow's dream? Or the thematic nature of Willow's dream?
1: I think it's all gonna, like, uh, I think everything else could be, like, towards a general discussion near the end. Cool.
0: So let's talk real quick, before we move into Xander, about just... Kind of the plot of the dream and like moments during it that we enjoyed or didn't enjoy. Um, um, Jason.
3: <laughs> he just, he just po- you just pointed at Ben. I <laughs> was, I panicked. I was really confused about who we met. <laughs> I, I, I panicked going, like, who do I pick
0: first? And so I, I guess my brain said both of them. That's so, true. in the spirit of what I chose, I want you to both speak simultaneously. Okay. Uh, okay, Ben, you well, go first. <laughs> I can do that. Whatever. Um,
3: no. Um, yeah, plot plot details that I, I did enjoy. Um, I feel like I've mentioned a lot already, but I did um, I did like the use of the X's in mm-hmm. this segment. Because um, there's, I think there's like a subconscious fear on Willow's part on what they're going to think and feel about mm-hmm. her um being with a woman now. Um so I thought that was like a smart use of them just portraying that fear and an and anxiety. Um you know harmony is used really well in that. And honestly like I <laughs> I had forgotten just a lot about little details in this episode and I, giles performance specifically in willow's dream <laughs> when he's telling everybody about like you know getting ready for the show and it's going to be the best like and Harmony's like trying to bite him <laughs> and he is not noticing yeah. at all but he is because he's yeah. like telling her to not do yeah. it but so like he, i think at so one point he, yeah he says that is very annoying <laughs> <laughs> that is like that is
0: do you think that's commentary on the fact that willow thinks that Harmony's a joke yeah
3: i I definitely think so and or at least that she thinks giles does like (laughs) but but yeah i i definitely think no one takes harmony seriously at all which is seems to be the case like way well down the road as well (laughs) but um but yeah like i i just I just wanted to point that out because I hadn't yet. That just <laughs> Giles. Giles is really hilarious in that moment. It's yeah. great, yeah. Jason.
1: I really enjoy um, just like the very beginning of the dream. The image of uh, Tara with the um, with the love poem on her back because mm-hmm. gay the, love poem. Yes, it, the gay love poem. Um, but uh, that is that really is kind of like when I think of Tara. Even though there's many many good shots of Tara throughout this. Throughout the series, that's kind of like mm-hmm. the image that always sticks in my head. It's a stunning image. It is. It's, it's and
0: I'm gonna say something more on that in a moment. But yeah, and
1: um, and then uh, yeah, you kind of like transition by uh, Willow opening up the uh, opening up the curtain to reveal the dawn, and uh, I'll leave that at that.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. So I actually I wanted to circle back to my comments about Riley being the cowboy. Um. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I've always read this line as like Riley just happened to show up at the perfect moment in Buffy's life when she was getting, o- like, not quite over Angel yet, but like at the right point where she might start thinking about Danny. That's Parker
2: Abrams. Yeah. Like,
0: she, like, is right? <laughs> God. I forgot about Parker.
3: Jesus. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: I'm sorry. No, fuck Parker Abrams. We hate him. Oh, um, but um, I really think that's like. <laughs> I'm
1: sorry. I didn't mean to bring that yes, back your to Your life. reaction no. is so visceral. You,
0: you look so, like, not angry, but just like. Disgusted. Disgusted. This <laughs> like... is how I'm feeling. Um, you know how I look. But, yeah, the way he keeps being like, I was here on time. I got to be cowboy is. I do feel like it's commentary on the the fact that Riley's maybe not a very good partner for Buffy, but he was just right time, right place.
1: It's, it's what she needed at that moment. Yeah.
0: Um, or yeah. maybe what she thought she needed at the moment. Okay, there you go. Um, and I've had all my thoughts about how they, I'll, I'll just fill you in Ben, If you haven't heard my thoughts on this, I really think they, the idea of, the, of Buffy having just a regular normal boyfriend, I think is actually valid and interesting to explore and they fuck it up when they make him part of the initiative i think if riley was just a guy this could have been a much more interesting relationship
3: no i i absolutely agree with that i i think i would have that's something i very much would have wanted to see in the show i think Mm -hmm. um yeah just not yeah just tying him into anything at all kind of ruined that yeah. and having him be this character also kind of ruined that yeah. but like just because he sucks but, yeah <laughs> but but no like in in concept i don't dislike that notion yeah. at all um so yeah i love
0: all the things you all mentioned uh, the harmony stuff is just fucking hysterical yeah. i also love her um <laughs> he the we see a bit of the play and he had Riley's like, can I help you with? Because she's like a milkmaid, yeah, <laughs> like a Swedish milkmaid. And he's like, can I help you with these? And she's like, no, they're not very heavy. Why have you come to our very small town with like it- it's like it's like only with one b- bank, one yeah, or is it a bank or post office? Oh yeah, it might be a post but, office. One yeah. post office and very few exports. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: well, and- why do I feel like? Um- Willow started dreaming about death of a salesman and then realized that she didn't know what death of a salesman. She never actually read it. Well, yeah. this
0: is one of the many times, though, that I feel like the dream aspect is really realistic about how we dream. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, I've had so many anxiety dreams about this exact scenario showing up at the theater. Well, we're also theater kids. We, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, and I'm, you know, I bet most of the writers probably too because this i do know this is a very specific dream that theater people have showing up at the theater so for me it's a lot of um it's usually less this and it's more showing up and we're just doing a show that we've done in the past we're doing like a revival Uh, but we never rehearsed it like the director just expected us to know it mm -hmm. um And, uh, but, you know, this one is also pretty common, I think, of just showing up. You don't even know what the show is, and you're pushed on stage, and, um, Buffy's flapper girl with her, like, mile-a-minute monologue at Riley while Harmony is, um, crying over a dead body in the background. I actually, I, I try to find it, but I read something... Oh, I do remember. I was like, I can't remember what it was, but I've had a really interesting analysis about that scene because there does seem to be a lot of kind of psychic overlap of these dreams of, like, we're actually kind of getting little bits of the other character's actual personalities um, through this connection. But I have read an analysis of that moment, of Buffy yelling at Riley while Harmony is um, crying over the body of a guy in a dark suit, is that the, guy, the body is Angel, um, and Harmony is representing Buffy, mm. and Buffy is also represent like, mm. it's Buffy's split between the crying over Angel and, like, yelling at Riley, um, which I thought was a cool interpretation of, the, of that moment. That's cool. Um, and of course, we get the cheese man.
3: I did appreciate how meticulously laid out the cheese was. Yeah, very,
0: <laughs> yes, very, very visually pleasing. Um... <laughs> Gosh, I had one more point I wanted to make, but I cannot remember it. So if I think of it, I'll bring it back later. So Jason, want to take us away on Xander's?
1: Yeah. So Xander wakes up, um, or it looks like he wakes up and, uh, the first kind of like thing that we immediately notice that's wrong with it is, um, Will's dream ended with her like being choked by the, by the, um, uh, thing that was following her um i don't know if we want to like reveal that right away yeah i i tried to be vague too so. yeah we could be vague we could be vague does, yeah but uh xander does wake up and notice that she's choking giles is awake but neither of them seem too concerned uh they're both um oh and buffy's awake too They're all just kind of watching Apocalypse Now, but this is not (laughs) Apocalypse Now. This is a um, strange kind of like placeholder
3: soldier movie. Um, Honestly, I hadn't seen Apocalypse Now, so I was like, it's not Apocalypse Now? It's not. I feel really um, let down. And, you know, (laughs) this
1: may be like another instance of... I, I would actually find it funny if, like, Xander, like, tries to champion Apocalypse Now so much, but he's never actually seen it. <laughs> that would be... <laughs> I could totally
0: see that. But I also think it's just one of those things where, in dreams, things are familiar, but yeah. not right.
1: That being said, we get a li- We get a scene a little later on in the stream that literally is Apocalypse Now. But, uh, before that, um, Xander needs to go to the bathroom. Um, he... Uh, one thing I noticed, is, like, Buffy kind of made an offhand comment, like, uh, oh, do you need any help? And um, I don't know if that's, like, if that was meant to be, like, a, a fan a Xander fantasy or something, or...
0: I have thoughts about the sexualization of women in Xander's dream, and how Buffy specifically is excluded from that. hmm But we'll get there.
1: It was just a strange comment mm-hmm. for... I know calling something strange in this episode is <laughs> yeah. kind of like uh, ridiculous to even worry about doing but uh, um, speaking of sexualization uh, Xander goes upstairs and is met by a very um, provocatively dressed Joyce
3: Summers Hot. I'm did did so gay wonder, and like yeah. Oh, yeah, it did make me wonder if that first movie was The Graduate <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I like, the one that we don't know what it was? So, think. okay,
0: so Z- Gile, or Xander does say, he, when they kind of poo-poo Apocalypse Now, he's like, fine, I got chick movies and British movies. Yeah. Would you consider yeah. The Graduate a chick movie or a British movie?
3: I would. It's be- definitely not a British movie. No, um, I, I don't think, I wouldn't consider either of those, honestly. Yeah. I would consider it a very Xander pick, though. Oh, you <laughs> know,
0: you're right. You, yes.
2: That's that's accurate.
1: But, uh, but yeah, um, Joyce is making, uh, is trying to put the moves on Xander and asking him to uh, come in and, uh, and lay down on her bed and uh, who, uh, but uh, he's like, Oh, I got to go to the bathroom first. Yeah, need
3: a <laughs> cold shower there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, it's not really uh, that it's more that it's a little uncomfortable uh-huh. and I'm like, Joyce, come on. Like, have some standards.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the words right out of my mouth. It's not real Joyce. It's not real Joyce. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but uh, yeah. So he then uh, goes to the bathroom, and uh, as he's about to uh, start peeing, he sees that he's being watched by uh, a bunch of scientists. Um, they're not specifically initiative, but given how like how not far removed from the initiative we are, I kind of, like, I've always... to think that was kind of his in his subconscious.
0: Yeah, that's what I've always assumed. And so he's like,
1: you know what? I'm just going to uh, find another bathroom. Uh, then we go to the playground. And uh, we see two people on swings wearing very dapper suits. Um, Giles and, surprisingly, Spike. <laughs> surprisingly, Spike, because it's bright. It's it's like daylight outside, uh, but they're both dressed similarly, and G- and uh, Spike mentions that he that Giles is teaching him to be a watcher, and uh, Giles says, "Oh, Spike is like a son to me," and uh, we know that's not true. Yeah, we remember that bathtub scene. <laughs> mm. Now he needs the culture.
0: <laughs> oh no, Spike. I dropped that soap. Will you pick it up for me? Of course, Giles. I'd be happy to.
1: He would definitely call him Rupert. Oh, Rupert. <laughs> He's yeah. kind of like the only one who calls him Rupert every now and again. I think Joyce
0: does sometimes. I think when Joyce is talking to Giles, she calls him Rupert. But or she
3: would... does call him Mr. Giles. Uh. <laughs> I, bet, I bet that's what he liked when they were on the bandcamp. I was going to say, we're to have to refer back to bandcamp. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mr. Uh... Giles.
1: And uh, if we want to go back to the uh, non-sexualization of Buffy, Buffy's actually in a, um, in a sandbox and uh, Xander is, um, Xander saying like, Oh, are you sure you like need to be out there? That sandbox is a little big. And then we get like kind of a flash of this desert landscape, which will come into Buffy's dream. So Mm -hmm. there you go. That psychic overlap again. And, uh, um, and uh, Buffy says, like, you know, she's o- she's okay. Uh, they're not coming for me yet. And uh, thanks, big brother. And uh, that's kind of like the whole... We talked before about how Xander is extremely protective of the women in his life, despite the fact that they're both much more capable than <laughs> he is. Um, and uh, I say both, i referring to Buffy and Willow. Um Obviously, Anya's in his life now, but
3: she's more capable. Yeah, she's saying, more true. capable. All too. of
1: the women yes. in his life. Tara. <laughs> yeah.
0: Tara can't get through a sentence, but she's more <laughs> capable than Xander. That's true.
1: Um, Xander never would have thought to have moved a soda machine by magic, uh, but yeah, she does call him Big Brother, and that's kind of like, as with the exception of certain circles that I won't mention is, like, as non-sexualized as you can get. Yeah. This isn't uh, a Lannister situation. Exactly. Or a Shannon
0: and Boone on Lost.
1: It
2: definitely... (laughs) I forgot about that. I did, too,
0: until I rewatched that episode, and I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot they brought this weird... Not not incest, because they're step-siblings, but
3: still weird. (laughs) Yeah. No, it definitely... You're right. It definitely defines the relationship least in his subconscious mm-hmm.
1: but yeah um xander uh sees himself working in an ice cream shop which is a job that we saw him having and he kind of like switches um that into, was so cool we into the ice cream uh ice cream person uh presence and uh he's all of a sudden he's driving and anya's there and um And she says that she's really thinking about getting back into the whole being a vengeance demon thing. And Xander's like, what? No, it's it's evil and it's not good. She's like, you never want me to have any hobbies. (laughs) Um, And that's when uh, Xander notices that uh, a... Very um, scantily clad Willow, and, well, scantily clad for network TV. I was going to say, yeah. like,
3: 2000s. Yeah. We, honestly, we saw clad, a midriff, everyone.
1: <laughs> I mean, scantily clad in Willow's terms, I was going to say, like, it not yeah. since Vampire Willow that we've had. Uh, for, for
3: Willow
0: and Tara both, this yeah. is like. We have never seen this much skin from either of them.
1: But they uh, (laughs) are—they very much not counting the uh, vision at the beginning. Not counting the beginning of the (laughs) stream. Let's just
3: say they both look like they founded Hot Topic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That—that's probably the best way to put that. But uh, they are uh, making out, and then uh, they look at Xander, and Xander's like, "Uh, "Excuse me, I'm trying to have a conversation up here." They're like, "Oh well, do you wanna? Do you wanna join us?" So. Um, it's really funny because in Willow's dream, Xander had a like the Xander in that is basically like, Oh, when I think of uh two women being together, it makes me want to be together with myself. Which I mean, you're like, Wow, that's kind of a one sided view of looking at Xander, but it's also nope. true. She knows him, um, she knows
0: him, they've been friends a long time,
1: yeah. Um, so Xander, Xander's still kind of just Xander, um, and uh. but um Anya surprisingly says oh it's okay you can go back there I'm very good at driving with uh by making big motions which uh kind of is a loaded statement uh it's
0: (laughs) I don't think it's inaccurate of how Anya navigates the world (laughs) oh and also I
1: was talking about how like she very much is kind of guiding this relationship as well like she's she's in the driver's seat And she has her big motions to do it. We know
0: who wears the proverbial pants. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: But yes, uh, Xander is... uh, Yeah, see, even in the Buffy wiki, it says, Willow and Tara dressed in unusually revealing clothes and glossy (laughs) makeup. Um, But uh, as Xander is crawling back, he ends up in his basement. And uh, there is a... um, He notices that... uh, there's, like, somebody trying to get in from the door, like, from upstairs into the basement, uh, but it's locked, and, um, Xander's like, ah, I need to get out of here. Um, well, and, uh, as he's trying to, uh, run, he sees that, uh, there's the cheese man who, uh, has cheese on a plate, but the cheese won't protect him. No. No. Um, he finds himself at, uh, UC Sunnydale, and, um... Giles is, uh, saying that, um, oh, he thinks he's figured everything out. And, uh, this very much reminded me, and I'm pretty sure it's making fun of, uh, either the Twilight Zone or a Stephen King thing, but I'm, but I, this reminded me of, uh, the Treehouse of Horror, uh, from The Simpsons, where, uh, Homer has the, uh, has the toaster that makes him, uh, travel to different realities. And uh, there's... Um, and, uh, like, Willie... Like, he opens the door to one and, and groundskeeper Willie's there's like, Homer, I'm the other one who can get you back to your world. But the only thing you have to do is... And then he's killed just as soon as he can. And this reminded me very much of when Giles was like, oh, most important thing that you have to do is... And then he just starts speaking in French. Yeah. And uh, it's very funny because... They're clearly saying their lines, but it's like a French dub has happened. Yeah. And it's it's quite funny, including, a def- I don't speak French, and uh, Ben speaks a little bit.
3: I, I've only, I've taken like whatever the first course, like the first, like up to the first castle or whatever, into <laughs> lingo of French. So that's all I got. He said something about you have to go to the house. Um, and he's also so an idiot.
0: <laughs> I've, I've got the translation here so giles says in french uh the house where we're all sleeping all your friends are there having a wonderful time and getting on with their lives the creature can't hurt you there." xander says what go where i don't understand giles said oh for god's sake this is no time for your idiotic games (laughs) anya comes up and in french says xander you need to come with us now everyone's everybody's waiting for you giles says that's what i've been trying to tell him xander says honey i don't i can't hear you Anya says, It's not important. I'll take you there. Uh, Xander says, Well, uh, we'll wait. Where are we going?
1: And uh, he goes. Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) You got all the important words. (laughs) You got idiot in house. There you go. Um, And uh, they bring Xander to um, a reenactment of one of the most famous scenes from Apocalypse Now. And it is uh, when Martin Sheen. First, um, after searching me for the entire movie, for uh, Marlon Brando's character. Um, all right. Lightning Fast. Um, summary of Apocalypse Now. Martin Sheen plays a soldier who is tasked with um, finding and bringing back or killing, executing, a, um, a famous um, uh, army general that, um, after serving in Vietnam, went AWOL and went to a... Um, and found a uh, hidden civilization of people that now view him as a god. And uh, Martin Sheen, as he's looking with his, um, as he's going through the landscape of a very war-filled Vietnam, he um, he, uh, he he learns more and more about Marlon Brando's character. I'm forgetting all their names right now, and I don't feel like looking them up. Um, and uh, he gets more, Kurtz! His name's Kurtz. Marlon Brando's character is named Kurtz, and uh, he's getting more and more kind of obsessed with like what is it that he knows that nobody else knows, and uh, he eventually, after several of the people that he's with die, he does eventually find that, and he's just and he's looking forward to seeing this godlike creature um, that is Kurtz, but in fact it's a slowly dying Marlon Brando on a bed, like on a cot, and uh, that leads to this scene, oh. um, and movie kind of ends with him saying like him just realizing, like, the horror of the world, and that's what's the, where you get the, the horror, the horror. Um, so, yeah. I don't even have to I just, watch it now. <laughs> sorry if I just spoiled Apocalypse Now for everybody. Um, but, uh, good movie, though. Um, at this point, uh, Snyder, uh, our good old Principal Snyder, in his final appearance on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, is taking the role of Kurtz, and, um... Xander is obviously uh in the position of martin Sheen, and he's like, I so we get very much that power dynamic of, oh, you used to be this authority figure. And um and Snyder's basically kind of uh just revealing these truths. He's like, Oh yeah, your time's running out, you're not a soldier. Xander is like, oh I'm a comfortador, which is what he told which is what he told himself, which is what he told uh, Joyce at the beginning of his dream. He told
3: Joyce he was a conquistador,
1: and then a comfortador. Yeah, Uh, which isn't a word, (laughs) but uh, yeah. um, Snyder says like you're you're not any of those things. You're a whipping boy. And Xander says, uh, Yeah, you know, did I ever tell you how happy I am that you got eaten by a giant (laughs) snake? (laughs) Um, But then uh, Xander is also being stalked by the same thing that was stalking Willow um and he tries to uh and he keeps finding himself back inside um his basement his parents basement all the paths are leading to his parents basement um no matter where else he goes and then when the uh when the door like finally opens it's xander's dad who walks down and have we seen xander's dad at this up to it's this not. point no no nope. and um we've had hints of xander's uh not so great home life and at this point he's just his his dad just kind of like just talks down to him and shits on him and stuff and uh do we know who plays xander's dad in this because it sounds no I, idea it sounded like um anthony hey oh no that's his excuse me um it looks like michael harney is our first
0: one. So Michael Harney is not Michael Harney will, will play Xander's dad. Okay, and in, it's Casey Sander. When when Xander's dad makes a proper appearance, that it's Michael Harney from um, Orange Is the New Black. Gotcha. He's the he's like the one of the shitty cards.
3: He just sounded so much like um, Jonathan Kent from Smallville. Oh yeah. I was like, is that him? But obviously not.
1: At that point, uh, after Xander's, like, confronted by his father, then, um, we get a better kind of view of what's been hunting Willow, and it rips out, uh, his heart, and Yay. that is how it ends. So that was Xander's dream, um, and, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and say, like, my thoughts go for on it, it. uh, For you all get your, your good thoughts in, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be the cowboy thoughts here, uh, but, uh. This is clearly, um, there are clearly moments that reference, um, Xander being outside, kind of like Xander's journey throughout the season, being outside, removed from Buffy, Willow, and Giles. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, I mentioned it when I was discussing the dream, no matter which way Xander tried to go, he would end up back in the basement, um, which is a very low point for him.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think that's the most powerful imagery in Xander's dream is this consistent ending up in the basement. And they utilize their set really well mm-hmm. so that it, like, the that set bleeds together. Yeah. That's actually
3: my favorite transition in the whole episode mm-hmm. is when... Because it's, it's evocative of so many different things. Like, like just... Dreams in general, but also that motif of going into the basement, and then also from what I understand, like Apocalypse Now as well. Like there's a moment where there's like army crawling through oh. stuff, and
0: can you confirm, Jason?
3: Like I, I in, in the actual episode, yeah.
0: No, in in Apocalypse Now.
3: Like I, I, I distinctly remember, and maybe I'm misremembering it, but I distinctly remember someone talking before about. How there's a moment in apocalypse now where they're army crawling and there's like a transition shot and then like they're sort of recreating that here but it's, that sounds
2: that sounds legit yeah
3: yeah and it's like that transition from the ice cream truck to the basement mm-hmm. yeah
2: yeah
1: but yeah the um and yeah it's like xander kind of doesn't really have his place or he doesn't feel like he has his place at the moment um the uh, the Snyder reference is kind of like how uh, high school seems so little now when you kind of look mm-hmm. back on it and look back on this guy that used to, as Xander would probably describe, to give him the Wiggins. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, and but also like he's kind of pointing out as Snyder typically did, like uh, oh you're worthless everything and uh, multiple people are telling him that and uh, even when uh, Xander is with people that he knows like Anya and Giles, they seem to be speaking in a different language because again, Xander doesn't feel part of this world. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my thoughts on it.
3: Cool. Ben. Yeah. Um, so the big thing that I took away from that segment was, was very personal for me. Um, so I, I haven't, I, I definitely haven't talked about this on a podcast, um, <laughs> but I don't even really talk about it that much with my friends very much just cause it's, it is, it is, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a spot of vulnerability for me, but also like I have dealt with it and moved on, but, um, that, that segment, especially in the time when I first saw it, Reminds me of a time in my life when I felt like Sort of my friends were moving on without me like like I um, For for those who don't know me I didn't finish college you know quote unquote in the time you're supposed to and um, I just remember when I was watching it at the time it was like right when I was like not doing school And I definitely felt this separation where other people in my life were on this track and doing things that they were, you know, society expected them to be doing. And I was just kind of getting by and figuring stuff out still. And, you know, obviously I'm in a very healthy place now where I look back on that. I'm like, yeah, I was just figuring stuff out. But in the moment, like, yeah, like I totally... I totally see that in Xander in this time where everyone, and they address this later in the series as well, but yeah, Xander, he's, you know, he's one of the characters who doesn't do college. And he's also one of the characters that like, you know, everyone, everyone sort of has a thing, like a supernatural connection, and he's the one who doesn't. Um, But he's just affiliated with them still just from, going to the same high school or knowing them before. And, um, so I really, um, as much as I dislike Xander and I'm frustrated by him, especially as I rewatch the series, um, that's a real connection that I still have with them and Mm -hmm. really appreciate that they, um, develop, especially with, um, them using sort of the ice cream truck metaphor. Um, for his character because yeah like I think most people would look at that job as like not something that's very important or integral to society and even childish because you are literally just handing ice cream to kids you know so it's it's meant to be a belittling role for somebody and um, the fact that that was like the thing that he fixated on like everyone's doing all these things and I'm handing out ice cream you know Like, um, that was like, that's just like a real vulnerability in Xander's psyche that I'm really glad that they put to the forefront. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Xander's difficult. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And Xander's dream is difficult, but it's all, there's a lot of good stuff. All the things you both mentioned are really great. Um, I, we're very much exploring, yeah, exploring Willow's dream is very much exploring like who am I. Mm-hmm. Um, Giles or Xander's dream is also exploring that, but in a kind of coming at it from a different angle of it's where do I belong in this world and do you know is there a place for me? Um, one of the things that highlights in this episode, obviously, is his troubled home life. And this is something Jason and I have discussed before, that the show doesn't do the work it really needs to do. It hints at J- Xander's home life, um, but we don't see it. I don't necessarily know that we need to see it all the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But was I can't remember which episode it was, but we had a discussion in some episode about the way Xander treats the women in his life but she's very, very loyal to them and protective of them and loves them deeply, but is also really possessive. And we've talked about how, well, obviously that stems from this home life that we're seeing, but the show never, that was us making that connection, Mm -hmm. not the show doing the work it needed to do. And I think that could have been a really valuable journey for Xander. And I do think Xander has a good journey on the show, even though he's by far not my favorite character i do think the arc he gets is good and i do think you know the xander we end the show with i far prefer to the xander we start the show with yeah
3: you know and it's so funny you say that too because i remember when i for those of you maybe don't remember or didn't know is like i watched this when i was when it was airing like like when i was very like nine or ten like younger than that and Xander my first time watch I only made it to season 3 on that first that first watch but um Xander was like my favorite character mm-hmm. when I was a kid and so I, it's just so funny to like go back to it and be like "Oh, Xander like mm-hmm. like what you know so many of the
0: things we associate with Xander though uh, you know and I feel it almost feels bad I feel bad for shitting on Xander specifically mm-hmm. because this was so common of that character type, yeah. of yeah. this era of television, um, and um, we we come down on Xander really hard, and he deserves it a lot mm-hmm. of the times, so, <laughs> and you know, because I I'm the one I, I very specifically I'm just like okay, where can we be nice to Xander, like, because <laughs> um, I do want to have space that sometimes people, well, always people are not perfect and fuck up really bad and do the wrong thing um
1: but it has been a while since we got the chat alert out. yeah so. because he's been better. Yeah. he has been better
0: um and it Honestly,
1: is most of our hatred isn't most of our male hatred has been directed toward riley yeah <laughs> xander's so grateful that riley showed up this season to take the brunt
0: of that from us um it is also interesting though and i'm not going to dwell on this because i don't it's not really relevant but Cordelia can do the shittiest and say the shittiest things to people. And we're like, we stand a queen. Yeah, that is state culture. And like... Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. I, I... The big... F- I don't want to call it a failure of this dream, but it's the part I have the most difficulty with of understanding its purpose mm-hmm. is the sexualization and the male gaze towards joyce willow and tara and the fact that it's very very averted with buffy and anya and i don't necessarily know what to do with that but jason seems to have a thought so i'm gonna toss that football um, to you
1: i'm in no way um excusing that it's a i mean, no way excusing it. it. It does come across as very, like, overtly sexual. Mm-hmm. But um, similar to Willow's dream um, and her depictions of somewhat random things, I feel like if you just try to picture Xander's subconscious, mm-hmm. I feel like that is definitely like appropriate. Yeah. And, I have um, no trouble believing yeah. that this is what Xander's yeah. dreaming. So, I just don't so see so what it matters like, thematically. Yeah, maybe maybe not function so much is like, but if you look at it as saying like, oh we want this to be like as much of a representation of a subconscious as we can get mm-hmm. for each of these characters, then um I mean that that works. Like, like all the random shit that Xander has in his dream, whether it be A scene from apocalypse now where he's talking to snyder or um or watching like tara and willow and make out in the back of his ice cream truck uh that's like that that seems like uh the the subconscious of a 18 year old 19 year old guy
0: i agree i i I absolutely agree with that um i and really honestly i'll I'll, to narrow down i have more of Issue with the Tara Willow thing mm-hmm. because like I believe it, like don't, like I absolutely believe it, but if what what I struggle with in that is the Anya half of it. it. I'm not sure what it's trying to say. The Joyce thing bothers me less because it's. Joyce is hot. And I'm not shocked that Xander is attracted to Joyce. Um, I
3: mean... So I do have a thought. Yeah. Um, I... And I'll be honest here. Like, I hadn't... I hadn't thought until you pointed it out about how sexualized... I mean, i noticed, obviously, how sexualized Joyce was and how Tara and Willow are sexualized in that segment. I, I'd noticed that. But I hadn't really... Thought about it juxtaposed to Buffy and Anya until you pointed it out. So, I'm this is sort of like a new train of thought for me. But what I think is happening there is that um, we're looking at fetishization versus real connection.
0: Okay, okay, okay. And
3: um, so, when we're seeing tara and willow that's you know this like overt sort of male like looking at porn Mm -hmm. kind of thing and and then i'm gonna go back to joyce being like this mrs robinson archetype and that these are like you know sort of developmental things and not you know for quote-unquote normal heterosexual development like Gross. the yeah i can't believe i said <laughs> that but um but yeah like i think like that's one aspect of his psyche but here on the other side it's interesting and i think it's a really good thing it's a really like cogent point is that um he doesn't do that with buffy who he's arguably the most protective of throughout the entire show mm-hmm. and um He doesn't do that with anya who he i mean i guess this is a a spoiler but just genuinely has like a real relationship and arc with throughout the series they've had their i love you's at this point okay
0: and and we we felt it was earned and genuine yeah
3: Yeah. so i i that's all i was gonna say if it was too much of a reveal but yeah i think i think it's interesting that he doesn't sexualize the relationships that end up like I don't want to say Willow doesn't matter, but just, like, that really means something just beyond just sex to mm-hmm. to Xander specifically. Um, and so, again, new thought here, but maybe that's what is being explored in the yeah, episode? Yeah,
0: I think that's really interesting. And it it does help me clarify, like, why this exists and what it's saying about Xander other than xander horny mm-hmm. i'm not gonna do it it's, i, I think almost it's said also it <laughs> saying, to be
3: fair i think it's also saying xander oh horny. yeah absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but i think there's there's another side of the coin that's happening yeah.
0: and i think that's what i where i was struggling with because so much of this episode is is like like we talked with willow yes it is saying this one thing that's really obvious on the surface mm-hmm. but what deeper thing is it saying so thank you both For helping me understand Xander. And also, fuck you both. For helping me understand Xander. (laughs) That's why we're here. Um, I also think, uh, just this was a thought I was having. I think this is the episode where, that moment where he calls her, like, she calls him Big Brother. Mm -hmm. And his reaction to it is like, huh. Um, Like, it's not the sort of, like, negative reaction I think we would have seen even a season ago. Mm -hmm. I think this is the moment where we are putting to you know the the xander's attraction to Buffy has waned mm-hmm. but I feel like this is the moment that it's put to bed it's, yeah that's
3: not what this is anymore yeah yeah would you
0: would you all agree I do
3: well yeah. mm-hmm.
0: cool. um Jason any other thoughts on this uh the theme of the dream
1: <laughs> no really just um uh very much like uh very much like uh, willow we are kind of exploring um the character's journey thus far yeah and um and uh creator of the show is doing it in a very experimental way um i don't know if it's like just for shits and giggles or not but uh i think it's a way of like getting um getting a a ridiculous amount of content across in a short Mm -hmm. time so
0: that is what's so cool about episodes like this um when you are playing with the abstract Mm -hmm. you i don't want to say you don't have to earn things but because it's abstract you don't necessarily um it's the same way you work in a musical you know yes i will believe that these two characters have fallen in love over the course of a four minute song because that's the art form. Mm-hmm. Um and you you get to take shortcuts. Um and uh and yeah, and so this is we're taking deep dives into these characters' psychology in these little I mean n- not very long vignettes, ten minutes at most for each character, Giles even less. Mm-hmm. Um
1: Xander does have the longest dream,
0: though. I thought so. I was curious about that. And I was like, it feels... I was... There was a moment where I was like, do I... Is J- Xander the longest? Or do I just feel well, like Xander's to, the I, longest?
1: I, I used to think that it was because of... Um, so, like, Giles' dream is fairly short. Um, and one of the reasons for that is because... And we'll get into this in just a second. One of the reasons for that is because he actually starts to figure out what's going on, who's behind this. So, if um, if his is the shortest, because he figured out the quickest what was going on, then Xander's is the longest. <laughs> because
2: Aww. he was clueless. <laughs> I, um, Poor stupid Xander. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I also think, though, that... We'll t- and we'll get into more. Is that... I think Giles is also the shortest. Because as the oldest of the group, Giles is the most secure in who he is. That makes sense. And so his, his dream is... I mean,
3: freud would agree with you
0: yeah <laughs> yeah um it's very specific whereas willow and xanders are much more
1: all those post adolescent yeah he's just
3: yes, more everywhere. developed than they are
2: yeah yeah,
0: yeah. Like, exactly no that's exactly it he has a better understanding of who he is because he's simply older. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, as you mentioned earlier, this kind of post high school figuring out who you are, mm-hmm. Giles has already gone through that. Yeah. And so yeah, his his issues and his dream are much more lightning focused. Um we'll talk about that in a minute. So any sort of dream in- imagery, any funniness, any anything else I think Ben you went first last time so I'm going to point this to Jason. I don't know why I'm moderating, but it, it's working. So <laughs> um,
2: I
1: I definitely uh, the 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 only other time I've seen this episode was during my original watch through of the series, and I had not seen Apocalypse Now, so I actually kind of enjoy that scene with Snyder and Xander just a little bit more. I think it's pretty funny. Um, but then again, like when you talk about when you bring up the fact that Snyder got eaten by a giant snake, <laughs> that's hilarious.
0: Yep. Ben.
3: Um. I mean, I mentioned it already, but I just really enjoy that um, transition from the ice cream truck to the basement. Mm -hmm. Um, I think just if we're looking at pure, just like technical camera work and just like Mm -hmm. scene dressing and stuff, like that is the, like the highlight of the episode. Like that is a real, like this just a really well done moment and I really appreciate it.
0: It reminds me of, I don't think you have, unless you haven't, just haven't told me. But have you seen the Haunting of Hill House I television series? I have okay.
3: No, I've, so I've read the book. Yeah. So there... I've the seen the film.
0: Okay, so there is an episode, episode six. And I've mentioned it on here before because we love talking about long tracking shots because we're sluts for them. Um, it's episode six. It's called Two Storms. And a big thing about the series is that it's... Um, it's set in two different time periods it's set in the 90s when like the family was living in hill house okay. um cuz it's a very it's it's not even an adaptation it's inspired yeah, by I've heard, I've heard. um yeah. and then them as adults dealing with like fallout from that and you know spoilers 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 but this one episode called two storms is comprised of long, long tracking shots and one takes., um, even leading into some of the flashbacks. and they specifically when they were building the set, they knew they were doing this episode. They built the set so that they could do that. Oh, okay. So certain they knew that they needed to get from the this the, the moder- in the or moder- er, in the current day, those scenes are set in a funeral home mm-hmm. so they built the set so that this hallway in the funeral home became the house oh that's cool um and it's it is like i i, I watched the episode marveled at the character work and the just the emotions out of it mm. and but then went Okay, now I have to watch it again because I need to just focus on this camera it work. Yeah. yeah, it was so cool. And I think and Restless does that really well in this dream specifically. We mm-hmm. see the, the the um the the ice cream truck shot, but they do it another time and I can't remember, but it's yeah. one of it's into the basement because yeah. every time they do that it's into the basement. Yeah. Um and I'm I'm guessing they just Oh, it's no. It's when he's it's out of apocalypse
3: now. Mm-hmm.
0: He I and mean, he like oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah 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 And I guarantee they just built that set right next to the set no, for, for sure. the basement and no. It's one of those times
3: yeah. where just like like as a like a theater artist, like TV and film, they tend to always like want to distance themselves from theater. At mm-hmm. least in my in my experience, like as a medium, and. um... It's not very often that you see evidence of, like, no, theater's, like, sort of the originator of, like, what you're doing. Yeah. And you're having to resort to this very theatrical thing to accomplish what you're trying to do. So, like, I, um, I don't know, I just always love those moments when you go to this sort of, like, atavistic, um, like, art form to accomplish what you're doing in this, like, thing of now mm-hmm. and so yeah i really yeah. liked i really i just really like that moment it's, it's cool
0: um my my final thoughts on this before we move on to giles is um xander and spike swing or giles and spike swinging uh james marsters is getting some air yeah yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. i giles's line oh watch us scoffs at gravity
3: <laughs> <laughs> i did have a question I, I forgot to ask about in that um was there an arc that I forgot that Xander wanted to be a watcher for a little bit? I don't
0: think so. Because that, actually, that stood out to me too. What do you think, Jason? So, I was actually
1: going to bring this up but completely forgot about it. <laughs> um, the way that um, Zan- the way that Xander sees um, Giles treating Spike is not the way that Giles treats Spike in the real world. The way that Giles treats Spike in the real world, kind of similar to how... Giles treated Xander in high school, so, so maybe he uh, sees like, however strained or untraditional his relationship with Giles was. He think he kind of sees Spike moving in on that. At least oh, that's what I thought. Okay,
0: okay. So I actually had a different. I I my brain went a different direction then. I was thinking, how Giles is. Treating Spike is how Xander would like to be treated by Giles. That's kind of where
3: I was too, and it made me wonder because he says something like, "Oh, I'm not, I'm over that, or I'm, yeah, like I'm not, I'm not interested in that anymore." It's something like that.
0: That's never been a thing. He's never expressed any interest in that. Was that a like?
3: (laughs) Did you say that out loud, Xander, or did you just think it? Like,
0: which honestly, I mean, that could have been interesting. mm Maybe he had, like, these thoughts, but was too insecure to express them. I don't know. It's not... Yeah. It's not explored.
3: I like, I actually, ostensibly, post-high school, think Xander wouldn't be a bad watcher. Like... No,
0: I... There's a very specific uh, season seven episode where he has an interaction with a character hasn't been introduced yet. I know what you're talking yeah. about. Do you do you know where I'm I going? Know where yeah. <laughs> that I think highlights that very well. Yeah. Um. cuz he actually <laughs>
3: has the right like temperament and personality for mm-hmm. that. I think Yeah, he
0: just need, he just seems to be hon- honed mm-hmm. honed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um but yeah.
3: yeah. So, I don't know, maybe you're right. Maybe that's just a very very oblique reference to his like developing mm-hmm. consciousness then.
2: Oh. I don't know.
0: Let's move on to Giles. Uh, Ben's taking Giles as well. Yeah. Good for you. Look at me. I'd love to take Giles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Randy Giles.
3: <laughs> uh, that's. I guess that's a little bit of a yeah. leap ahead, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Out
0: of context, it means nothing, so it's yeah. okay. <laughs> um,
3: yeah, so so Giles, um, like you mentioned, it's the shortest, and i agree with you i think it's the shortest for a reason um i think developmentally giles is just kind of leaps and bounds ahead of everybody else (laughs) um it does start with him and buffy with him um doing like classic like hypnotism sort of pocket watch stuff um which I did make a joke about that, because he says something to the effect of, like, this is how men and women have be- behaved for generations, or whatever. And I was like, what if he was doing that in Willow's <laughs> <laughs> Um that would, that would be a little uh, less okay, I guess. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, interestingly, we segue from that into him with Olivia, who I'd completely forgotten about. Um, I think for a reason.
0: She's only been in two episodes. And I, you know, I liked Olivia, but they, she they didn't was, give her really anything to she do. She doesn't get anything to do. She's in, she's in the first episode of the season and then she's in Hush. Yeah. And, uh... Say, I wish they kept Olivia around. I, she, I, she's a fun character. She, yeah, I liked her in those appearances, and so it is disappointing that we never got more from her. Especially. especially
1: yeah, she's a person of color. Yeah, so. I was gonna, yeah, yeah. Especially with
0: our troubled relationship with people of color on this show. Yeah, for real. Which we'll talk about. For real.
3: <laughs> um but anyway, we see Giles and Olivia, and we see Buffy in a again, like in a different way, kind of problematic outfit but <laughs> but yeah she's she's overtly dressed as, as a child yeah. um and giles is sort of parenting her but in a very belabored sort of way um like he's with olivia who's who is pushing a stroller and he's with buffy and um they go to sort of like a carnival kind of place and there's a, a vampire who is one of the like attractions booths at the carnival who's, you know, meant to be like the most non-threatening portrayal of a vampire yeah. possible who is just this very childish representation of. A vampire he even says like oh i'm a vampire <laughs> and he's moving like a um I am a villain. yeah <laughs> he's he's moving very akin to like one of those games that you would see at like a carnival or like a i don't know a church picnic or something like that and um buffy is very interested in doing well you know at the game and seeking giles approval um from doing well and giles even says something like well i don't have a treat like
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know why are you doing this and um olivia urges giles to be more kind and how he is treating buffy um which i think there's a lot of commentary to be made there just about one, his relationship with Buffy in general and his role in her life. Is he a watcher? Is he a father figure? Because Buffy obviously doesn't have one. Um, but also his role with um, just like what he wants, what Giles wants out of life. Mm-hmm. like It seems like he's a little detached from wanting to be a watcher at this point, um, which um, is something that is or isn't explored later. And um, it also seems like, which they do delve into more in this segment, it does seem like there's a more traditional like role for someone his age that he's looking for as well. Um, so from this moment, we go to a crypt where um, we do see Olivia and the stroller sort of abandoned. And her crying, but he doesn't seem to be that, um, just that invested in whatever's happening there. Uh And we also see Spike, um, who's mugging for the camera and taking, you know, really just sort of uh, obvious, like, character shots of, of, like, things that are not, you know, serious at all. And interestingly, they also... um, really make the point of stylistically separating those moments um Mm -hmm. because with the spike shots they're in black and white and the rest of that segment is not and again everything's deliberate except for you know a certain a certain element and i think that what's happening here is that we're trying to separate this sort of um we're just trying to separate what spike is doing as something that's not involved in the life of the show or the characters at all. It's mm-hmm. just this. Th- oh,
0: that's a cool, I, I'd, I'd not thought of that interpretation, yeah. but it's just. Cause we've actually talked about that, that a lot of spikes utilization this season has been up until he finally gets involved with Adam. It's pop in here and there for a mean quip or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, that's cool okay
3: yeah that's that's just how i took it uh, or have always taken it is that it's a it's just a delineation of like this is the world of the show and then this is like this is this is just like what spike's doing Mm -hmm. and um and like also i think there's an element because he even says like i think buffy should have should have killed you um like I think there's a moment too of where he's like, Well, this is what happens when we, you know, let vampires live is that we have this like sort of abuse of like we have this abuse of like this magnanimous moment from Buffy into you like trying to profit from it.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, so I think like that's happening as well. And and then also uh from that moment we go to the bronze. Um where we have this sort of tie, very, very loose, but present tie back to reality, where Xander and Willow, who have previously been attacked by this entity that we've mentioned, um, they seem to be actively working on what, it, what this person or thing is, and um, they're enlisting Giles because Giles you know, is the established expert and that we can just reach Giles in his, like, conscious knowledge. We can figure out what's happening. And um, that more or less is what starts to happen once Giles starts to be pulled in. And we get a lovely um, song from Giles. I love this. Which is, is great considering how we haven't gotten to a musical episode yet. <laughs> um, that we get to... I mean, I know it's not the first time, but it's definitely at this point the longest... Like display, I guess of mm-hmm. of uh, of Anthony Stewart Heads' talents. Um, but anyway, it's a, it's a great like exposition of like what's happening, and exploration into like what is attacking us, and there very much is like almost, um, almost an epiphany into what it is in that moment. Um, but then we go into um, a segment where Giles is. Just pretty much, pretty much almost is just about to tell the audience what is happening, what is pursuing them, what is attacking them when that thing scalps him. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think that's like just the broad strokes of that. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: One thing I really enjoyed about this uh, was Anya's uh, stand stand up up for T. Oh, yeah. yeah, (laughs) Um, And uh, I, I think. What I gathered from that was, like, Anya's um, continuously trying to do more human things. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's more human? Like, And if you've seen any episode of The Next Generation where Jada's <laughs> trying to be human, what's more humorous than being able to tell a good joke?
0: Yeah. I love the uh, when someone yells, You suck! <laughs> Quiet! Or you'll miss the humorous conclusion! <laughs> <laughs> what, what is really funny I, that I love about... Cause, everyone has you know e- everyone who's appearing in other people's dreams has a slightly different voice in that person's dream because that, that's obviously like how they are perceived by that person yeah except anya everyone Anya's voice is consistent
3: all the way through everyone knows anya <laughs> yeah. yeah that's very true that's funny um, it kind
1: of reminds me of how um in uh in earshot when buffy's like hearing everybody's thoughts and when she hears Cordelia's thoughts, it's literally just like Everything what she, she says. says. Yeah. It's like Cordelia always says exactly what she's thinking. Yep. <laughs> um
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna go first with my thoughts. Yeah. I thought y'all got first. It's rude. That's rude. <laughs> it's oh sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um and I feel like I mean obviously this is the shortest dream, so we'll probably spend the shortest amount of time, but it's really obvious what this is all about. Uh Giles views himself as a father figure to Buffy. And he is. I mean, he is a father figure. Um, Just listen to any one of our season three episodes. (laughs) Um, His attitude at the beginning of the dream is interesting. And I feel like maybe it's tying in with Willows with... Because how he treats Buffy in the beginning of the dream does not feel right Mm -hmm. until I think back on season one. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I th- and I think that's what that is. It's a, it's, um, his progression of his relationship with Buffy. It's always been paternalistic, but in the first season it was, he was frustrated with her a lot. He viewed her as a child, and you mentioned that she's dressed, she's infantilized yeah. in, in that moment, and he treats her such. Um, and... I, I, all, I wish, and I know time constraints, but I wish maybe we got another scene of them the two of them interacting with in, in his dream that was more akin to how they relate to each other now. Yeah. Um, I think that would have been a good, like, here's where we started, here's where we are. Which is kind of what we've had with the other two dreams. Yeah. Um, those are my thoughts. I, I I don't think we need... we. I don't think it's going to be take a lot of work to really dive into Mr. Freud's dream here. <laughs> yeah, um, ben, sure. your thoughts?
3: No, uh, I mean, that's mostly... I feel like I mostly sort of snuck in everything when I was talking about the plot. But yeah, I just... Um, yeah, I've just always thought the stuff with Spike was especially interesting in that that like mm-hmm. segment of the episode as well because yeah they just make such a harsh stylistic change there Mm -hmm. and i always thought that i always wondered what that was and i i think yeah i think it's it's them deliberately trying to separate um like these two characters and their motivations and like yeah just um yeah just this like idea of because when we think of classic monsters we think of like dracula and stuff and but how also campy that can be if you're removed like far enough removed from it mm-hmm. um, so i think like having all of that happening while having like the color things too really does give you that distance yeah now i mean like this is actually scary like are we actually afraid of this person i don't think so and i think that's i think that's what they're trying to do there anyway.
0: to piggyback off of that that's a really cool thought that you had um, because Spike was introduced kind of as a yes. specifically as a counterpart to the Master who is that mm-hmm. classic Dracula sort of vampire. So it is kind of cool that they take Spike, our you know, Lost Boys sort of vampire mm-hmm. but do that to him. Yeah,
2: yeah. Cool.
0: Your thoughts, Jason?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm just uh, this is uh, similar to uh, similar to Xander and Willow. Um, a lot of what a lot of like the progression that's gone on especially in this season and um even though it seemed like giles had like the least amount of a story in season four uh this kind of like is his story in a nutshell of how he is getting with without his official capacity as a watcher um he's and with buffy getting older he's kind of like moving further away and Mm there's like a line that uh that uh, Spike says it's like you're missing everything, mm, and yeah. um, and I think that's kind of like telling as to how Giles isn't as big of a part of their of either of the main three's of the lives anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, even though like you know they got a Megazord up sometimes, uh, it's definitely like you know they're they're moving on with their lives, and they it's nice that they have a mentor and um, later appearance. Later episodes, we'll discuss kind of like how, hey, we all need to move on. Um, it's kind of like the beginning of that here. Yeah, nice.
0: Um, favorite dream. Oh, when, when does the cheese man... The cheese man appears... This is when he's got
1: the cheese on his head. Yeah, he says, yeah. I, I wear, wear the, the cheese. cheese. The, the cheese does, does not, not wear me. me. And
0: Child says, honestly, you meet the most appalling people. <laughs> <laughs> um any other i love giles's exposition song it's yeah you know, no, it's a highlight, a highlight uh don't bleed on his couch don't ble- any- the, the the lighters yeah <laughs>
3: anytime giles sings it's great. oh
0: great um cool are we ready to move on
1: let's go into buffy's dream all
0: right i'm taking this one uh buffy's dream and i will I, i'll premise this by saying buffy's is the least interested in looking backwards Buffy's is all about looking forward. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, actually, ironically, even though I think it's the most important of the dreams, we'll, in this space, have the least to say about it. Um, Buffy is awoken in her dorm room by Anya. And I'll be really honest, the very first time I watched this, I didn't realize it was Anya. I thought it was Willow, because she was in Willow's bed. Uh, And she has, like, the covers, like, pulled up, and you see it's, like, from a distance. So... But it is Anya. She's um, trying to get Buffy to wake up. Um, And Buffy's like, bitch, no. I'm sleeping. (laughs) Which, I feel you, girl. (laughs) I got in charge (laughs) of this. Oh, okay. I'm going to say it while I'm... Because that triggered what I wanted to say during Willow's Dream. I'm going to say it while it's here. And I think you both know this. Um, So I wrote a screenplay called Notes. And there are several dream sequences in said screenplay that are heavily cribbed from this episode. <laughs> uh, I I call it an homage. <laughs> Some would call it stealing. <laughs> um, because I think I used that line. Oh, it okay. is very... Uh, and, and there is a sequence of... The, the queer lovers, one of whom is writing on the other's back. Although I use Lord Byron in mine. Um, also very gay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I am, I am very open that it is like all the the dream imagery I am is directly inspired by this episode. I'm not hiding that fact. So if this film ever gets made and you see it, know that yes, I did steal it. And yes, I am confessing.
1: All right. um, i mean honestly though the people that are able to recognize that source that's who you want in your audience yeah. there actually
0: is there is a speech late that comes near the end that um is almost well it's not there anymore but in an early draft it was almost word for word a speech that one character gives to another in season seven that I did not realize I had stolen. And I was re-watching that episode when it happened. And I was like, oh, no. oh shit.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I have, like... This reminds me of when Fearless Taylor's version came uh-huh. out. And there was a tweet that I saw where someone was like, you know, I have to give it to Taylor Swift. Because if someone re-released something I wrote when I was 15 I would murder them <laughs> and so I just have nothing I mean I know you weren't 15 but you're I, a lot closer to 15 than than I, any of us are now uh, but I yeah, um, I was
0: 19 when I wrote the first draft of that
3: so anyway just nothing but admiration for you right now for sharing for sharing this <laughs> Thank with us
0: you. <laughs> um it is weird because I don't consider that a screenplay I wrote when I was 19 even though the I did I did been working on it consistently for 10 years. Um, so, and it's evolved a lot anyway. Um, Buffy wakes up again in, uh, the spare bedroom at the summer's house. Um, and she mentions that she, she and Faith just made that bed, uh, referencing the dreams, uh, in graduation day, Part two. Thank you, Jason. Um, I was like, when did she gut faith? Is the end okay, of part that one. the end of part one. <laughs> um, and, uh, and the dreams in uh, this year's girl. Um, but Tara is there. Um, in a very spirit guide sort of role. Um, and I think this is... I as I mentioned, this was gonna be Angel's role in this episode. I like that they use Tara for it, though, because we know the least about Tara, so we get yeah, that kind of mystery. I, I
1: think Buffy might only associate her with um her connection to Willow and her ability to do magic. Yeah. So that kind of makes her like a mystical
2: figure.
0: Yeah, exactly. No, it Tara. Honestly, I'll be I'll be totally real. I actually think Tara works better in this capacity than it than. I could get the idea of it being angel but i like tara in this in this kind of position better
3: also yeah i agree just because of who we find out this thing is later mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of it being another woman more y-
0: yes absolutely i am gonna go ahead and just ne- since we've already had giles's you never had a watcher line mm-hmm. i'm gonna use this this pl- this moment to just say yeah this is the first Slayer. um Or a A Slayer is is what we know now. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think our brains can figure it out. Um, We see her chained to Buffy's ceiling and, like, kind of attack her. Um, That's when we kind of get through. um... I'm sorry. That happens while she's still in the dorm room. That's what Mm -hmm. pivots us there. My apologies um she says that she and faith just made that bed um she says a clock that says it's 7 30 tara says that that car that clock is all wrong uh she gives buffy the tarot card from primeval with manus which was manus or manos doesn't manus. matter because manus?
1: I, I specifically remember that because uh Manos
3: is uh, Manos hands of things. Exactly. Hands. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I, I could see it going either way because of that." Yeah. I was like, "Maybe it is Manos because that is a <laughs> pre where my brain thing. was too."
0: Um, but I imagine that's probably the real tarot card, like from a from an actual tarot deck. Um, but that was her role: the hands, the strength, um, and um, but Buffy kind of rejects that. And she leaves to go look for Giles, Willow, and Xander. And it's interesting. I never actually realized, even though it is the plot of Buffy's dream, that the three of them do not appear, except for when we like go, quote-unquote, out of the dream. Mm-hmm. Um, which is so obvious. I should have realized that. But uh, And Tara tells her to be back before dawn. Hmm. What a, what a thing to say. Um, we get to the UC Sunnydale hallway and Buffy encounters her mother in, a, in the wall with just her face visible and like a hole in the wall. Hi, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Delightful scene uh, that I have, I think is just full of symbolism. I agree. Some of which is foreshadowing and some of which is not. Um, but it's to one of you said it and I don't remember who Um so sorry because I've
3: I don't remember anything else. Uh,
0: like <laughs> actually I do think actually I think it was you Jason how much we can pack in with all the symbolism mm-hmm. and I think that moment right there it's such a small scene but holy crap yeah, what does sure. it say about all of this um She goes to the initiative. Uh, Riley's been (laughs) promoted to Surgeon General. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love that. Um, And he and Adam, in his human form, um, are drawing up plans for world domination. As you do. Uh, Their key strategy, toasters that think. Um, and Puffy's like,
2: um, is that good?
0: And in one of my, is it, is it really on the nose? Yes. Does the nature of this episode mean that really on the nose actually works really well? In my opinion, yes. We get a dramatic zoom to Riley from under the glass table, with the gun sitting on the table prominently in the foreground next to him, and he says, it's "Very
1: much a uh, Brian De Palma shot." Yes,
0: extremely Brian De Palma, and the um, we're the government, like we're <laughs> like um, everything we do is good or something like that. Which wow in two thousand, and wow 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 in twenty twenty one, and. Honestly, these pot shots that this episode is taking at the military work for me better than the ones in Primeval that we talked about Mm -hmm. in our Primeval episode. Um, Mostly because they're just like... The nature, as I said, the nature of the episode allows for it. But also they can do it in this ridiculous way. We get the alarm going off that um, the demons have escaped. Run for your lives. (laughs) And Adam and Riley are like... We're gonna go build a fort. I'll get the pillows. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, all great stuff. Um, but there is a really great moment. Once again, it's just illustrating how Adam could have worked. Like, how how this storyline could have worked in season four, where Buffy says to to Riley, or to Adam, like, "Who were you?" or something to that effect. Like, and he says, "Before Adam, I don't know." And there's like, there's a nugget there that's interesting, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, just makes me, once again, retroactively angry at the season for squandering what could have been an interesting storyline if they'd taken the right path with it um, and not killed off Maggie Walsh halfway through. Um,
1: I think we'll get to like bitch about this one more time when we do our season wrap up. <laughs> yeah. After that, we're going to have to lay it to bed. We so.
0: will, we will. Um... We, uh, Riley calls her killer a lot throughout this, this sequence. Interesting. Buffy gets a bag she opens and it's full of mud and which she kind of plasters on her face, which we saw during Xander's dream. He had a flash of her. I think it was with... Giles's dream, I Yes, you're yeah, right. I am She sorry. gets
3: the cotton candy and she puts, she yeah. puts it on her face. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, so that psychic bleed through once again Um, Riley says to her um, and I I really like this quote I thought you were looking for your friends okay killer if that's the way you want it then I guess you're on your own Um, so Buffy walks and she winds up in the desert Uh, the cheese man waves some cheese slices at her she walks (laughs) by Um, but notably says nothing this time and it's quick Like it's there for consistency, but we don't linger on it in the way we linger on the others, which is smart because we're in more serious territory here. Um, she confronts the slayer, the first slayer who uses Tara to speak to her. Um, and I have thoughts about her. Um, (laughs) But we'll, we'll get to this. Um, basically, the slayer, the first slayer insists that Buffy cannot have friends, cannot have ties to this world. Um, she has to fight alone, which has been a really consistent theme. Of, of That is what sets Buffy apart from these other slayers. And Buffy says, no, fuck that. I'm going to do my thing um she has this really great speech that i really like where she says like she's all the things she can she could be if she chooses to be and she has a line of i'm gonna be a fire uh i'm gonna be a fireman when the floods roll in or something like that mm-hmm. that it's a it's 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 a great moment um but the slayer says no just kill they fight um Buffy's, and Buffy's like, I'm not doing this. She wakes up in the living room. Uh, sees her friends dying, and we learn we're in le- yet another layer of this inception. Um, it's a dream within a dream within an episode within a dream. <laughs> um, they fight some more. Uh, the Slayer attacks her, stabs her repeatedly with her knife, and Buffy in true Buffy fashion, just rolls her eyes and is like, are you quite finished? Uh, And uh, then she says something racist about the Slayer's hair. Um,
1: Which fortunately gets cut off before it goes. I think, I mean, the line gets cut off, not the hair. Yeah. Um, Yes. Before it goes like, before it gets in way too deep.
0: Too deep. But she still says enough. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, But she wakes up um all right so here are my thoughts about buffy's dream i love it generally it's Mm -hmm. beautiful it's um but it's also nearly impossible to talk about because it's almost all foreshadowing uh in a way that the other dreams have foreshadowing sprinkled in um so i'm gonna talk i'm personally gonna talk about choice and Sinea, which is the name of the first slayer, even though this episode says she doesn't have a name. but we learned her name in primeval when they cast the spell and call her by her name when they call upon her.
1: Maybe that was the name that was given to her. Maybe she herself <laughs> never knew her name, but maybe it was a name that was given to her. Maybe by, like
0: by history. maybe. I don't know. Man. I'm gonna I'm I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do Joyce first. All right wanky. Um, (laughs) okay Xander (laughs) (laughs) listen it's okay when I do it because I'm gay no that's not true Um, that was sarcasm okay Joyce in the wall lots of foreshadowing Joyce in the wall but specifically I think Joyce in the wall is representative of one Buffy wanting to keep Joyce separate from everything Mm -hmm. but also the distance that Joyce and Buffy have had this season Joyce has appeared in four or five episodes at most. By far the fewest of any season thus far. And there is a mo it's at the very end, where Joyce, Buffy's like, well, I don't think it's safe for you to live there. And Joyce says, well, I'm sure you could punch through. And then Buffy leaves. And I think that is Buffy's mind saying, I should be visiting my mom more often. <laughs> And that's on me for not doing it. What do you all think?
3: I agree. I think, um, you know, I, I think it's it's just a commentary on the the sort of course that their relationship has run thus mm-hmm. far. Like, I think, um, you know, obviously in the beginning of the series, Joyce knew nothing. Yeah. And she was very, almost very literally annexed. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that there was, you know, no aspect really of Buffy's life that Joyce had any real window into. And now she has that, that little bit of, of a, you know, she has a hole in the wall that mm-hmm. Buffy put there where she gets to see some things. But it's still the things that sort of Buffy lets her see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that this part of Buffy's dream is maybe a little bit of guilt that she might be feeling about that and like, Oh, this isn't like, like an acknowledgement of her being like, you know, this isn't a healthy dynamic. Like Mm -hmm. this isn't good for you at least like you're trying to be my mom and I'm not giving you that, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's sort of what I took away from it without getting into the foreshadow territory. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's definitely as far as like commentary on the present. I think that's what it's trying to yeah, discuss.
0: I almost i I actually I almost worry even saying that, how, that that's foreshadowing is in and of itself
3: kind of a spoiler. Do you, yeah. you know how when
0: like sometimes it's even though you don't spoil what a twist ending of something is just by saying that there's a twist ending, like you think, spoiling it. I, I, yeah, I
1: think it's vague. I think it's vague enough that if I hope you don't so. have awareness of what's to come, that uh, you're not going to easily come to it. I hope so.
3: Joyce gets buried in a wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, like that episode of CSI. Um, or that
0: episode of Angel, where oh, yeah. that guy's... Or no, <laughs> yeah. it's the mom who buries her in the yeah. wall. But, or, For, poor Phantom Dennis. Poor Phantom Dennis. Uh, Jason, thoughts oh. about Joyce in the wall?
1: Pretty much just what you guys have said. Um, yeah, it's very... Uh, There's obviously been this rift uh, between the two of them, and I mean, go back to the top of the episode. Mm. She's just now meeting Riley. Yeah, and they've been dating
0: for a while.
1: Yeah, yeah, they've been bumping uglies for quite a bit. So, (laughs)
2: cool. Bumping beauties. Yeah, it was one really long episode. (laughs) God,
0: (laughs) (laughs) we had a time with that one. Um. Alright, so now we're going to get to the Sinea of it all. (laughs) The show has a bad relationship with people of color. Uh, Whether it is uh, two characters of color, two black characters in particular, have been killed off in service of Faith, Kendra and Mr. Trick. Mm -hmm. Um, We we had what happened to Forrest. Luckily, we have met gun on over on angel so that's good it's slightly better yeah like we, <laughs> yeah but um and i'm not opposed to the idea of the of Sinea, of the first slayer i i conceptually i really like her mm-hmm. um and you know the the idea that she's a black woman great that's it, and it makes sense it makes sense you know life came out of africa like, yeah
1: i always assumed that like we're going all the way back to like beginning of like, civilization almost, and that's, um... And, like, uh... Like, that that would be, like, the complexion of people from the Mesopotamian region.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, no, um...
1: I learned from low battery.
0: Cool. So we're gonna... We're gonna move this along. (laughs) This is one of our longer episodes recently. Um... Conceptually, no issues. In practice... One, I just names are really important. and and it's actually really funny. Literally today at work, we did a table read of an original work that is being written that we've commissioned, that's being written to go into schools. Um, and it's about a young man, uh, he's a boy, he's six years old and he has he's Muslim and he has a difficult to pronounce last name. And the, that's what the play is about, is about how his name gets uh, diminished and made fun of by other students, or people don't make the effort to pronounce it correctly, and um, the, those micro-aggressions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was just weird how that happened on this day we were doing this episode that literally takes a black woman's name that we already knew, away from her. And I'm very, un- like, that makes me even more uncomfortable than the hair thing. I mean, the hair thing's not good. Mm-hmm. But, and once again, I don't think it was malice. I don't think it was ill intent. I think it was going for, like, a mystery. She's the first slayer. She has no name. I
1: think, I think what it boils down to is an oversight, um, because... Obviously, um, the this first Slayer, uh, is, Sinea. Sinea. I'm like, I, I was about to like say S- Zendaya, like that's not <laughs> right. No, no. Sinea. um, is meant to be like a representation of the like, they like even the Buffy Wiki she's referred to as like the primal Slayer. Yeah. Um, and uh
3: can I also point out that IMDb she's listed as primitive. Ooh. Oh boy. Yeah,
2: that's um, not good.
3: But yeah, I think
1: unfortunately what happened was they were too busy trying to like do everything they could to depict this as like a primal force of death and mm-hmm. killing because Senea does say like all you do is kill um it's in the name it's Slayer uh but uh the I think in the process of doing that they made some bad decisions yes and didn't think about it before it went to a screen.
3: Yeah, yeah. To me, that only underscores the sort of latent racism, mm-hmm. though, because when you're not thinking, is when you resort to sort of subconscious yeah. and or unconscious behavior. And when you aren't dismantling racism and white supremacy, those are the notions you go back to, and you don't think about them because you haven't thought about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I think I, I absolutely agree with everything you're saying, but I, I think that almost makes that almost like drives the point home further.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's, and, and you know, we have our rule on our, on the show here where we, we heard to Joss as, the show's creator. But I'm going to say, I'm going to add a little addendum to that rule that when we're talking about this sort of stuff, not just with him, but anyone, we need to say his name yeah. because we need to, because in this case, if we're just going, oh, but this show, we're, we're letting him distance himself. Hmm. And I think, yeah, it's not okay. It's not cool. And, and we don't, at least I don't think that he was going, yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to treat this black character
3: very poorly. Yeah. I think it it
1: was an unconscious thing, but again, that makes it
3: even worse. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we're, and we're also, I mean, we also are looking at the time period and all Mm -hmm. that stuff too. So again, I don't, I don't want that to be like a total indictment, but at the same time, like we do need to look at, we need to hold that accountable and that we need to hold that sort of whole mode of thinking from that time accountable exactly and and yeah like I mean it it makes me question like were there writers of color like there were not I didn't think so but you you would know you're just more immersed in that recently than I am but yeah so that makes me wonder that and it makes me wonder too like if there had been would some of these same things have happened like that's why I mean that's why I get so frustrated when people complain about diversity in not just on screen, but off screen
2: mm-hmm.
3: and, and in like leadership and things like that. And it's like, it's not only like the PC thing to do. it, it It's a very practical thing. Yeah. Your like, product's just going to be better. Your product <laughs> will be better. Things like this won't happen because someone in the like decision making process will be there to be like, oh, no, don't do that because. Yeah. And if you exclude that person, then you're just creating problems for yourself later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so again, like a lot of these initiatives and schools of thought weren't really present then, so it didn't happen. Yeah. But... but we
0: have to recognize it now so that we can avoid the same mistakes. Yes,
3: absolutely agreed. And I think that doesn't spare it from being dissected. And us being like, this is an example of what happens when mm-hmm. that isn't there. And I think that if we had ha- have had at least one writer of color in that writer's room when this episode was being written, that at least that would have been a thought. Yeah. Whereas I don't think it was. Yeah. Um,
0: and maybe, who knows, maybe pangs would not exist. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so I'm gonna move us along real fast because my laptop is five percent battery and oh, yikes. all of my thunder ports are full of microphones. Um So the gang wakes up, they uh they just they kind of debrief. There's this great moment where Joyce is like, what what's going on? And Will is just like Ugh. Spirit of the First Slayer tried to kill us in our dreams. And she's like, oh, do you want hot chocolate?
3: Very <laughs> Joyce. Um,
0: beautiful. And Buffy says, you know, at least you all didn't dream about that guy with the cheese. <laughs> and yeah, and then she goes up, goes to the spare room, looks in and we hear uh, the line that I didn't say, and it's super important, I can't believe I didn't say it, that Tara had said to her earlier. It's Um, you don't even know, like, who you are. You haven't even begun. Yeah. And that's where we end our season. Um, all right. Light, lightning fast. Final thoughts. Ben. Uh,
3: just, um, pretty much everything that's been said, but also, like, there's a, there's a weird, like, sort of, I mean, again, with the racism, same thing. There's, like, a weird misogyny, I think, as well. Mm. Um, where I, I guess it's not really misogyny, but I think it's, it's adjacent enough that I'm just going to throw it under there. But, but just like the, um, like Sinea being jealous of Buffy having friends and getting to do all this stuff. I, I don't think like, I don't think that two women would really be having mm. really, I, really having that conversation. I don't think that would be a conflict that would really exist. I think that if Sanea really understood the, like if, if she's in Buffy's subconscious and she's understanding the world as Buffy sees it, I think that she would be grateful or appreciative maybe that mm-hmm. she doesn't have to do it alone. Like I had to do this alone and it was horrible Yeah, and you don't. And I, like I wish there had been at least a journey from like, this is how it was for me and I'm bitter about it to like, Oh, you're, you're not that way. And, That's great.
0: If Sanea had actually gotten to have an arc instead of just been a force. Yes. Jason, final thoughts,
3: final thoughts. Um, along with my score, uh,
1: this episode, um, was a very interesting way to end the season. Um, instead of like the traditional way that we've been used to, it's a nice experiment. Um, and as I said before, a good way to pack in a whole bunch of meaning while, um, and definitely like one that's subject to rewatches once you finish the whole series um i'm going to give it a four out of five because um yes there are some like uh problems with it uh but i like but i like the fact that you actually kind of have to work and think about this one to really get it all the nice juicy meat that's in there nice
0: yeah um i'm yeah i'm gonna echo all that i think it's really cool really experimental really bold um And I I think today we might see an episode like this, but it would be like a special between seasons.
1: The only thing that um, I could think of that comes close to it is remedial chaos theory from Community.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I I, I honestly don't even think of this as a season four episode. When I'm thinking about this as an episode, I, in my mind, it's yes, part. It was part of season four's production. It's the but transition it's, uh, from season four to season five. Yes, it's the it's the epilogue to the first part of the season. Their yeah, series. series. And the prologue to the next. Um, I'm, you know, despite our issues that we've had, I think that the strengths still are really, really strong. So I'm gonna give it a five out of five. Um, right. It's a this is a top tenor for me. Um, and some of that will come in when we talk about foreshadowing and our spoiler, spoilery episode. All right. um, I don't think we've ever like shot through this as fast as we have uh, this part, not the rest yeah. of the episode. But yeah.
1: Alright, thank you for joining us on Boots and Buffy. Thank you, Ben, for coming back. Um, We always love having you. Uh, We'll be back next week with the Angel season finale. Angel season 1, episode 22, to Shanshu in L.A. Mm
0: -hmm. I'm Harrison. You can find me on Facebook. Or, not Facebook. Don't find me on Facebook. Instagram (laughs) at Harrison Alexander Kaufman. And on Twitter at Harrison Kaufman. Um, That is spelled C-O-F-F-M-A-N. You can also find me on Instagram. Did I already say that? Yes. Okay. Fuck. I, I accidentally closed this out and I was pulling right. it up. And I have a blog, horrorbyharrison.blogspot.com, where I talk about a different <clears throat> blog, a different horror movie every week. Uh, next week, finishing out this month, is Jason X.
2: And on that Hold
0: note, note, I'm it's Jason. Ben's turn. Oh, never mind. It, go ahead. Fuck. I'm Jason.
1: You can, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at yummyj 357 and on Twitter at just plain old YummyJ.
3: Uh, I'm Ben. You can find me on Twitter at Lunarcrescendo, L U N A R C R E S C E N D O.
0: You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Booze and Buffy, or you can email us at boozeandbuffy at gmail.com. The and is spelled out in all of those instances.
1: And don't forget to subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Each week, we like to give a shout out to a worthy charity or nonprofit. This week, we're highlighting a light. Formerly known as the American Refugee Committee, a light builds a meaningful life for and with the displaced. When we find people displaced from their homes, countries, or lives, our instinct may be to focus only on their basic needs. And that is essential, but it's also not a life. A life is filled with joy, dignity, connection, and purpose. And that's what a light aims to build. Visit www.wearealight.org for more information. And as always, go slay!
3: And be gay. Yay, goodbye.
2: Bye.